The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, I'm Maureen Metcalf, and this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm delighted that today we are recording from the Intelligent Community Forum Summit. So we'll be talking with three of the founders, Lou Zaccarillo, John Young, and Robert Bell. And we will be talking about intelligent cities. So my name is Maureen Metcalf. I'm your host. I'm the founder of Metcalf & Associates. I work as an executive advisor, a speaker, a coach, and an author of an award-winning book series on helping leaders innovate or update how they lead. I also teach in universities in the U.S. and Germany. So now to the ICF Summit. Um, This is an international gathering of leaders and community innovators coming together to explore and celebrate cutting-edge strategies that drive economic growth and empower citizens in the digital age. The conference provides the opportunity to meet people from around the globe to engage in invigorating discussions that fuel the broadband economy around the world. So specifically, the Intelligent Community Forum is a global network of cities and regions with a think tank at its center. Its mission is to help communities use information and communication technology to create inclusive prosperity, to tackle social and governance challenges, and to enrich their quality of life. The think tank studies how intelligent communities use technology to succeed in the broadband economy. From this evidence-based research, it offers unique guidance through reports, books, live and online educational programs, and conferences. The data for its research comes from a network of more than 140 cities and regions, large and small, urban and rural, on five continents. These communities have completed an annual global survey so they can compete for the prestige of a place in the Intelligent Community Award. Every year, ICF uses an objective analytical process to identify the smart 21 communities of the year, and then those are called down to the top seven intelligent communities, and then finally, the Intelligent Community of the Year. Columbus, Ohio was that Intelligent Community of the Year for 2015, hence they are hosting the conference now. So, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, this show. My intention behind creating the show was to create opportunities for busy leaders to continue to innovate or update how they think about their work, their communities, and their lives. This show this week, I think, is emblematic of the quality of content we're trying to bring to you as I believe it is critical for leaders to connect to 
their larger community and their ecosystem and to attend to the health of that because it is that ecosystem that allows our businesses to remain healthy, our communities to remain healthy, and allows us to enjoy living in those healthier communities. So we invite listeners to think about something they will hear during this presentation that will allow them to innovate how they're thinking about their business or how they're doing their business or, or their government service. So here we go, uh, over to the founders to tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Thanks, Maureen. My name is Lou Zaccarella. I'm one of the founders of the Intelligent Community Forum. And uh, what I do is try to make uh, the hometowns, wherever people live, better. That's really the essence. Okay, cool. Thank you. I'm Robert Bell. I'm another one of the co-founders of this organization. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy who looks after the, uh, the data and the analytics to make sure that uh, we're doing what my, what my friend and partner Lou just said the right way. And my name is John Young. I'm also one of the co-founders. Uh, I have a background in urban planning and economic development, uh, urban design. And some of the things that we talk about, of course, uh, manifest themselves into those particular mm -hmm. fields. Uh, but we all three have uh, unique backgrounds that contribute to uh, making this movement uh, a very unique movement, uh, but also uh, uh, reasonably successful for not only ICF, but also the communities that, uh, that participate. So that our listeners get to know you a little bit better, why did you start this? I and mean, presumably you were successful in other careers before you came to this. Um, wh what was your intent? Well, for me it was personal. I grew up okay. in a small town in upstate New York um, in a place that had been a great place to be a kid. You know, one of those railroad towns where mm -hmm. a lot of immigrants lived, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of churches, a lot of support, good educational system. And then, you know, within about a generation and a half, uh, it fell apart. And, okay. You know, when you see your hometown fall apart and you see the disruption that causes, um, you know, you react emotionally. And, um, you know, Robert and John and I had been uh, doing business stuff together. I'd been in the satellite industry. I was an advertising copywriter. And uh, then we just decided over a number of years to try to address that problem because it appeared to us, and we were right, that it was universal. It was happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, long story short, I, I believed that uh, if we could get my community fixed, and we could fix things at the community level, then a lot of the other social problems might evaporate. Okay. We got our start, per se, doing a study that, that someone asked us to do, comparing six cities in different parts of the world. And in the process of doing that, we invented a new way of looking at, at communities. We said, the world is changing in profound ways because of this thing called the internet, which was just in its infancy in those days. Mm -hmm. And we could foresee that it was going to, going to change the business proposition for business, it was going to change the community uh, proposition, it was going to run over the economy mm -hmm. of a lot of things with terrible effects on places like the one where, where Lou grew up. And the question was what to do about it. So we invented a framework that talked about things like broadband, things like um, the knowledge workforce and what was going to be required, uh, the desperate need for innovation in the public and private sectors, the need to include people who are not coming with us in this digital revolution, and the need for communities to really work hard on the issue of what we call advocacy, which means bringing the citizen and the institution and the business into the process, into the conversation, mm -hmm. helping them understand what the real issues are, and then saying, now, it is, you are now empowered to design the future with us. 
And uh, I was involved in urban planning in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, part of that process was always the question of, you know, where does science fit in with urban planning and so mm -hmm. forth. And one of the things that happened was, you know, things are, are, are good happenstance sometimes. Uh, we, uh, uh, I was invited to participate in the World Trade Centers, World Trade Centers organization. They had a thing that they were starting called the World Teleport Association. So uh, we were part of that formation. Mm -hmm. My organization was one of the founders. Uh, of the World Teleport Association. And it is great, it is great disappointment. It was not about beaming anybody. <laughs> Just no, say, teleporting sounds like well, yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what, but the, uh, the interesting... It was about connections. It was about connections. But, but the interesting thing is they, they always talk about satellites and you know right. the terrestrial business parks and, and, and telecom sites. And I kept asking the question, and they hated me for it, uh, well, what does that mean for the rest of the city? Yeah. And uh, all the people there were satellite geeks. And... Uh, uh, but for what 11, 12 or more years, I was on this board. And they wanted to get rid of me so bad. They <laughs> finally said, "Look, do you want to do something else?" And we said, "Sure, let's talk about communities." And these guys were a part of it already, and they were the ones that kind of came together with me around this conversation. And we went off together, and we were supported by the World uh, Teleport Association to get going. <laughs> and, and they thrived since, and yeah. we're moving moving forward as well. So that's how it kind of came together. There was a seminal point of it. Uh, in 1995, uh, Robert Liu and I and the World Teleport Association, we ordered, organized the first Smart Cities conference in the world in 1995 in Toronto, Canada. And from that grew these uh, concepts, the indicators, mm -hmm. uh, the ideas around uh, working with communities. Mm -hmm. And in uh, 1999, we uh, awarded Singapore our first recognition and from then uh, we organized our, our, our group mm -hmm. and by 2003 we started a regular program of these awards and away it went. So we've been doing this a long time since the 80s uh, thinking about this thing and of course the name changed over time and so forth. Yeah, we're giving, we're giving the same speeches we gave, you know, 15, 20 years ago. We just get paid now. <laughs> we all get better with time, huh? Not, not cuter, but better. Just to put that 1995 date into context, and I like to do this for people because time moves so fast and we forget. The company that produced the first commercial web browser, mm -hmm. Netscape, mm -hmm. was formed in 1994. Okay, so, so the, yeah, so we're talking really intelligent. 1995. So the transformation was different in 1985 than it was, or 1995, than it is oh, now. Most of the conversation has, I mean, we used to, when we would go and talk to people about broadband, they'd smile and their eyes would glaze over and they had no idea what we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I actually had a mayor one time, the old, old guy, he said, you know, Sonny, you tell me what this broadband has to do with me filling potholes. So, <laughs> sure, Mr. Mayor, with all due respect, it, you don't get broadband in here, you may fill in those potholes yourself. Like you're, you're amazed you can fill a lot of them, and then everybody's going to leave your city in addition to that. But, uh, but we found some very interesting cities right from the beginning that really manifested themselves as being these sort of smart cities. And as we evolved, and our name evolved, it was interesting, some countries, because we became mm -hmm. global, some countries said, what, what is this smart? Because we didn't understand smart. And uh, the French and the Japanese particularly said, we don't understand this. So we started talking about this idea of wisdom 
and intelligence and so forth and, and the idea that it wasn't just about cities it was about communities and communities of interest so slowly but surely we evolved to intelligent communities as opposed to smart cities so what's the distinction mm. smart cities are about technology but the way I really like to say it is smart cities are pretty much like automating a factory okay we know how to automate factories we've been doing it a long time mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of sensors and machines in you usually fire a lot of people and the factory runs better, faster, cheaper, mm -hmm. which is great for the people who put the money into it and for the people that get the product out mm -hmm. at the other end. Smart cities, same deal. We, we spend less of the taxpayers' money because we run the city much, much more efficiently. The services get better, the reliability of everything gets better. Really, really important movement. It's just not what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. the, the, just, to, just to pick up on that, what Robert is saying, uh, I like to talk about the poetry of cities, right? The community is a canvas. And the smart part is the technology. You know, that's, that's the revolution. Okay. We all, we've all heard about that. But you know what? Been there, done that. So the question is, how do you go from this technology that we talked about having been launched in the early 90s, mm -hmm. which is largely adapted, or people are at least familiar with it now. And they get what broadband is now? Yeah, they do. You yeah. don't have that conversation? Now they're talking about who's going to pay for it, right? Okay. Um, but now we're at the point where we're talking about something more transformational. Right? I, I like to use poetry because mm -hmm. I'm an English literature guy and stuff. But the, what you're talking about now is creating new renaissance. So we talk about going from revolution to renaissance. Technology revolution, smart cities, LED lighting, all that stuff. They like mm -hmm. to talk about smart meters. Good, fine, you need it. But now, how do we do the thing we're really going to need to do, which is to transform cultures? Look at these ecosystems that need to mm -hmm. take shape, this new DNA that's forming, so that we create new industries new businesses, new ways of thinking. When Robert talks about automation, yeah, you make a car the same way in Japan as you do in Germany, as you do in, or used to do in Detroit. Mm -hmm. But the new economy is not going to be about that. It's not going to be about that standardization. It's going to be about unleashing your creativity, right? So how do you enable that? That's the renaissance. That's what the renaissance was. So similar to we now have Uber that's completely changed the cab industry. We've got Airbnb that completely changes the hotel industry. You're creating an ecosystem where that kind of thinking can evolve and also people can transition out of what they used to do into solid employment, I'm guessing. That's, well, that's the difference yeah, that's, in the community. That's the trick. Let's talk about Uber. Uber is not offering solid employment, is it? You can work as many hours as you like. Good for you. Uh, contrast that with the city of, of Montreal and Quebec and Canada where they have a, a very successful startup it just got about two or three hundred million dollars in funding to call Teo Taxi. Okay. Teo Taxi's business plan says we're going to buy nothing but electric vehicles. And electric vehicles, as it turns out, if you're a fleet owner, are incredibly much cheaper to run than a gas-powered vehicle. Okay. And so it's cheap enough to run that they are able to take their employees and turn them, sorry, their, their, their drivers and turn them into employees. So people who get benefits and benefits, not contractors, not you know, not not a race to the bottom in terms of lifestyle, yeah. but just you know, a good average job for these people. And the cabs are beautiful. They're clean. It runs. It's like the experience, like having a limo come up to your door. And the business model seems to work. They've already got 400 taxis on the, on the streets in, in, uh, mm -hmm. in, in Montreal. And instead of coming in the way Uber does and banging away at city regulations and trying to force their way in, this company said, how do we work with the existing licensing system to make it? So, so that's an ecosystem. Well, that's, and that's the, okay. whole, that's the holy grail. But I think the fact is, you're going to have a culture of income entrepreneurs. 
as the economy shifts. Mm -hmm. You're going to have people who are, as you say, were, were disintermediated and are going to move through this phase. But they're going to have to sustain themselves in these communities. So are the communities prepared to transition them until they get to the point that Robert talks about? You know, John, up in, up in Canada, uh, you know, up in Waterloo, they've got, you know, Quantum Valley now. And I think, you know, Mike Lazaridis, who's our visionary of the year, one of the founders mm -hmm. of BlackBerry, is thinking about that next, you know, industry, quantum. But we don't know where it's going to go. It's decidedly nonlinear, but you're starting to see money pour into that ecosystem so that things can develop through the universities and through the private sector, right? So, and, and in fact, uh, he evolved his business in that ecosystem because the ecosystem actually evolved from the university sector. So, you know, when you start talking about uh, smart cities and the focus is on technology, uh, and you've got a lot of vendors that are really pushing that, the other areas that we talk about are on a more holistic plane. You know, we look at it from a more 360-degree point of view. So things like knowledge-centric and being involved with innovation and creativity and looking at digital inclusion and social inclusion and so forth, uh, good governance and advocacy and citizen participation, those are people things. So, you know, there's a big difference between the technology side of smart cities mm -hmm. versus the people things that we're talking about, which really then run into this conversation about intelligent community. And so, the, I think one of the key differentiators is really how do we create this innovation ecosystem? An innovation ecosystem isn't the technology. The innovation mm -hmm. ecosystem is what you do with that. How do you leverage the technology and how you mm -hmm. make that? into something that is purposeful, that is meaningful from an economic development point of view or in the United States and in Canada they talk about smart growth, in other words uh, stopping sprawl and figuring out other ways to do it from a, from a mobility and, and from a livability point of view uh, and it goes from there. Yeah, it's funny, I just wanted to, while, you were talking, while you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that we're pretty hard-headed here, I mean Lou talks about the poetry of the city and we talk about um, you know, lifestyles and these kind of things. At the end of the day, what we care about is high quality employment, wealth creation, and social health in a place. Because those are the things that make that a great place to live, a place where you want to raise your children, a place where your children might want to stay because it's such a great place to live. Um, so all the things we're talking about ultimately have an end result. The ecosystem says, do I want to found a business? Do I want to educate young people here? Do I want to then have them leave my community? Yeah, I probably don't because I'm just spent a lot of taxpayers' money uh, creating some great educational uh, assets, if you will, and they're benefiting somebody somewhere else. So and that was, and exactly, that was my situation. And I, I went to New York, you know, got in business with these guys, you know, did very well. All that money, all that social capital that has been spent mm -hmm. with me doing work for different organizations and so forth is spent somewhere else. But I got educated, you know, in upstate New York. I got educated in Lyons, New York, in a small community. So all the assets that were applied to me were squandered. I mean, you really have to look yeah, at it that way. The yeah. ROI has been terrible for them. Okay, good so for somebody else. That's a great point. We're going to go to break here. We'll be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're with the Intelligent Community Forum. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with the Gentile Community Forum. So, before break, you talked about getting the ROI from the community that invested in you. So how do you get ROI back to communities who have educated their young people and are at risk of them moving? Yeah, well, I I think the first way is the ICF method and the philosophy, which is uh, don't let them leave in the first place. Okay. So if you take that as your your fundamental proposition, uh, then you have to start thinking about what is going to be required to keep them there. You know, everybody has an emotional connection to their hometown. You know, it's, we're very tribal. So, the, you know, how do you restore the tribe? How do you think about that in a new way? And one of the ways that we looked at is something called the triple helix, where, again, we need to think differently about uh, how we design our communities. You know, that's sort of John's area. But very simply, uh, we look at how the local government, which is has to be transformed, can interact and the methods for interacting with its private sector, and, and also its uh, academic and intellectual class. You know, historically, these three things have been siloed. And we always talked about the ivory tower. Well, you know, the university is, is certainly not that anymore. It's going to be the engine for the new economy. And, it's, and, and we see that in successful communities, it does interact with the private sector. Governments, not at the national level, certainly, but at the local level, are redefining themselves. You know, uh, there's no, you know Ronald Reagan was wrong. Government's not the problem. The way government thinks about itself may have been problematic. Okay. But what's really important is that government needs to think of itself as an enabler. So where we are right now, Dublin, Ohio, is right next door, right to Columbus. Yeah. If you talk to their city manager, who's here, Dana McDaniel, mm-hmm. he says, "We're here to enable. Right. We'll build as much fiber as they need, but we're not going to tell them what to do, how to use it. We just want to encourage." Mm-hmm. But he's always got the universities. He's always got his incubators, his private sector people, his money people at the table, collaborating and talking about, you know, creating this, this new triple dealers. And maybe the guys want to talk about, you know, some of the communities that are actually doing this. But that, I mean, that's the fundamental proposition. You know, keep 
keep people home first. Think about ways to do that. So that's why they're leaving. And then it's it's you work you reverse engineer it. You understand how the why they'll stay home. And there's nothing simple about this. I mean, the, the principle is simple that you have the triple helix, as they call it in Europe, the innovation triangle, as, as we call it, with government and business and institutions at the table. But it's a balancing act every step of the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite things to talk about is this idea that we want to have a lot of knowledge workers because they add a lot of value to our economy. Uh, innovation is the fundamental thing that adds economic value. So I'm going to educate a bunch of young people, and I'm going to make sure that they're ready to compete. That's what we're all worried about, make competitive, ready you know, young people coming out of our universities and colleges. Well, are there jobs waiting in that community for their skill sets? If they're not, you have a supply-demand problem, and you have to get those things into balance. I did a project a couple years ago looking at attracting and retaining IT talent. And similar issue, are we matching the, the need from the business and university community to what we're generating in our universities and in workforce development? Or so often not. This is why silos are such so much the enemy of this, because mm -hmm. as long as those two things, as long as universities, colleges, and business and government are operating in silos, you can't balance those things. So one of the issues in communities are that uh, they might educate these young people. Uh, but they have feet and they can leave and I think that's a key is that uh, you want to learn ways in which you can retain them. Mm -hmm. uh, they might go away for a while but they might want to come home because that's where family is. Mm -hmm. You want to have a community that when they come home they could get a job, it's a place that's uh, affordable for them to live in, it has the kind of you know mobility, however you want to define that, whether it's transit and some now with mm -hmm. millennials, they're not interested in cars, right? So they're looking for other ways to move around. And uh, things to do. I mean, the, if, if you don't have that diversity of, of all of those things, uh, they will leave again. And then they may leave permanently. So what you mm -hmm. want to do is to figure out ways in your community to strengthen all the things that will help those people, those talented people, mm -hmm. stay in the community, help to thrive and, and, and prosper and create other family members uh, as they go on and, mm -hmm. and do the same thing. And So it's really important for those communities to look at retention strategies okay. and the intelligent community forms various strategies and indicators that reflects that. Yeah, I just want to pick up on what the guys have said because, uh, you know, again, we're not asking these communities to become Silicon Valley, you know, um, that's that's not going to happen. We're asking them to be, actually become more of themselves, right, which is really an important issue. I, I like to use the phrase reactivating the tribe. Okay. Every tribe has its value. So, 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 you know, again, so we're asking the question, how do you reactivate it most appropriately? There's another complicating factor here, though, and that is, you know, you can look at the educational system as it exists. You can look at the jobs gap as it exists, and you know try to remediate that problem. I think you're going to have to look a little further and harder and do something that's that seems impossible a lot of times, which is to create an environment where lightning can strike, but you never know where it's going to strike. Mm -hmm. To strike gold in the, in the in the new economy, but you have to have the conditions in place to do that. The tribe has to have the confidence to do that. And as Robert and Johnson, you have to have the people there to do it. If your best and brightest leave, I don't like to say, you know, you've got your, 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 your dumbest and your dentist, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for you, right? <laughs> Leadership's going to have a, a much harder time activating that tribe. It's funny, we were talking yesterday about, about migration as, as the, as the you know, hot button issue right now, and everybody's worried about the people who are coming to their communities. You know, they want to keep people out. 
the real problem is not that problem at all. Those, those folks are going to actually contribute. The real problem is the folks who are going to leave you. And, and for those places where migrants are coming from, their real problem is they're losing their most adventurous citizens. People the people who are willing to leave. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of communities, I've noticed here today, uh, we have a number of individuals whose economic development task is to attract new immigrants. And around the world, people are having problems with immigration. Uh, here in, in our uh, environment, among mm -hmm. people who are in the intelligent community, they recognize the value of the immigrants coming in, bringing new talent, new ways of doing things. A lot of them bring new innovation to the community that many of them have never uh, heard or seen. Mm -hmm. about. And they're hungry to, to, to work hard and to build their, their own sense of uh, community. So I think it's, a, it's interesting how open, welcoming, uh, and uh, you know, actually, very simply, bringing all these people, very diverse natures, together, and creating an ecosystem that is extremely innovative and open and welcoming. I think that's very important as part of it. It would be interesting. I'm sorry. Yeah, I wanted to go to you. Talk about being data driven and think tank, and that is near and dear to my heart that we don't just make stuff up and say those guys look good but that you have hardcore quantitative um, criteria mm -hmm. and yet you also talk about tribes so is the same criteria relevant for a small urban city in Canada that is for Taipei or Columbus Ohio it's a great question it's one we wrestle with all the time we believe we have a way of looking at these communities that factors out who's got the most money. Okay. Because what we're interested in, in is not counting how many toys you have. Mm -hmm. We're interested in counting how you proceed. What, how, how do you think about your problem? Mm -hmm. How do you frame it? What programs do you have in place? If you're a small place with fewer resources, you're going to have fewer programs maybe, but are they the right ones? So mm -hmm. one of you know, my favorite communities to talk about is Mitchell in South Dakota, which is what people would say, where, what? Uh, Mitchell's, the largest landmark in Mitchell is the Corn Palace, which was built as a tribute to their great industry, the agricultural industry. But of course, agriculture is not creating jobs. It's quite the opposite. It's, a, it's an extremely mechanized and efficient industry. Mm -hmm. So they decided that uh, they needed to change their destiny somehow, and they went out and managed to, to get a a local carrier to build them a fiber optic network. And on the strength of that, they built an economy around network deployment, around ICT. They've got a very, very effective community college that, again, is at the table designing the curriculum to produce the people who are going to work in that economy. And they've managed to layer a new economy on top of a perfectly good one. The agricultural mm -hmm. economy is still strong, but this new economy has jobs, and this new economy has opportunities for entrepreneurs to create wealth. And so they didn't get away from who they were. They just they, they just made it smarter, better, more intelligent, mm -hmm. right? And that's again that's the principle. The other thing is you have I always look for universal principles. You know, it's because I like Saint Augustine, right? He's always looking for the universal factor. Mm -hmm. and, and if something touches every community, but irrespective of its if it's Mitchell, a small community, or Singapore, there are going to be common needs. Uh, people are going to articulate certain things that they need. To stay there and to make their hometowns better. Yeah, scale. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just a matter of size and scale mm -hmm. and culture. But again, the universal needs are the real, the real drivers. They're what push people to stay, to do, to be happy. And we know that the you know, economists tell us now that when you're happy, you have better economic output, better social consequences. So that's kind of what you go for as the holy grail of the intelligent community movement. 
and you know we have 145 cities who are sort of pushing that way because they bought into the philosophy. So let's when we talk about bought into the philosophy to buy into this and then to do the application, right? So I may say this is a good idea and we're going to go for it, but not actually expend the effort to apply. What what's the business case if I'm a city manager to say this sounds like cool stuff, but I don't I don't need to do an application. Well, you know, it's first of all, we don't tell anybody that they need to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't just automatically anoint a community. <laughs> uh, what, what we do is well, we say you need to, you know, you need to be accountable and you need to want to do this. Mm -hmm. And if the community doesn't want to do it, we're not going to push them. So, in fact, we don't have some of the more obvious cities in our list. We have a lot of communities that have said, you know what. We want to get onto the world stage. We want the world to begin to know who we are. And if, in fact, uh, a city is lazy and doesn't want to fill out one of these forms, which is not a big form, it's only two hours to fill out one of these forms, um, and then you get, it's free, you get global recognition. Uh, if you get to that level and mm -hmm. you, you uh, are able to uh, uh, at least qualify to be a smart 21 community. Uh, and you get inward investment. You know, we, these top seven cities, when they're named, many of them the next day get calls from site selectors. Absolutely. Because they say, well, you're an intelligent community. Let me know more about you. You know, it takes thousands of dollars to hire a site selector to go and do the kind of analysis that we've already landed for them by, by showcasing these kind of, you know, smart and intelligent type uh, communities. And when they come and they look at these communities, they go, it's exactly what we were looking for. So there's already an intrinsic value. Then there's an actual value when you see communities that have uh, benefited from it. So we have a number of examples of communities uh, that have uh, uh, you know, benefited directly. So mm -hmm. communities like Toronto, that uh, on the Toronto waterfront, the, the president and CEO, the former president and CEO, John Campbell, has indicated that uh, it was a pivotal point for them to recognize and use the indicators of the intelligent community to help build their waterfront and have uh, have not only given us a testimonial, but they created a whole department of the intelligent community director who's here at this conference. Uh, and she uh, also recognizes the value. We have other cities like Waterloo, uh, uh, Eindhoven, Holland, and so forth. So it's, it's uh, actually quite amazing when you start to talk to the communities. They themselves provide that testimonial to us. So I did work years ago with the Malcolm Baldridge assessment. And what it gave us and it, it was, for some people, not about winning the award, but it really gave a roadmap for what good looks like. And I'm wondering, this is very... It's the journey as opposed to the destination. Well, and if someone gives me a roadmap, then I am more likely to accomplish the results we're trying to accomplish with less effort. So this is Maureen Metcalf with the Intelligent Communities Forum Founders. We'll be right back after break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. 
Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders. And today we are live at the Conference of the Intelligent Communities Forum with the founders. So we were talking before the break about how one would apply and why would one apply. So let's go back to that, a little bit more about the process. You talked about a two-hour process, but you don't decide who wins based on a two-hour application. No, so there's we, more. We put a lot of energy into defining our process in a very rigorous way. So we have multiple steps. And one of the things we've made sure to do is that neither John nor Lou nor I have any vote at any point in this process. Okay. Um, but how do you measure something as elusive as community intelligence? Well, mm-hmm. as with most analytics, it's a question of picking the right proxies for reality, the right things to measure that give you an impression. So, in our first and simplest step of this thing, we have a 23-question survey of which 17 are fill-in-the-blank and check the boxes. Okay. And the kind of boxes we're asking people to check are identifying, for instance, what kinds of things are they doing in their schools that relate to using technology to transform learning. Because we know that intelligent communities are leaders in that area, and that the students who emerge from the other end of that are extremely technically literate and ready to, to step forward. So if you one place I visited in uh, in Canada, in the city of Winnipeg, has a high school that has a cybersecurity program. Really? And they come to the U.S. to a, a huge uh, competition that's put on mm-hmm. by the U.S. Air Force Association, and they walk out with top prizes every year. Hmm. These are high school students. And some of them are, are going on to advanced degrees, and some of them are just getting jobs, doing these very difficult things. So there's an example of they would check several of the boxes because they're doing a lot of things in technology in schools. And we have similar kind of boxes for innovation and for digital inclusion, other things that we think are important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've come up with ways to, anal- to analyze that and, and score everybody on it. And that's where we get to our Smart 21 list. So it sounds like you also, you talked about advocacy and, and inclusion. You also have a way to measure what we would call the disenfranchised. Sure. And what does a community do in the areas of workforce development and re-education and community services? And this all gets very detailed and granular, mm-hmm. but you know, in digital inclusion, we know it's a problem of access to technology. Mm-hmm. It's a problem of training to use technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's another problem that most people don't think about, which is the motivation to want to do any of it. Because if okay. you're outside of the digital economy, 
You have no idea why it matters. Unless it's Facebook with your grandkids. Yeah. Well, that Facebook with your grandkids is a great reason. To <laughs> it's been terrific. Uh -huh. So everything we do comes down to, break, to breaking down these things into numbers, but then ultimately we also, in a future step in our program, ask people to tell us stories because the stories are, telling stories is, remains the single, probably oldest and most powerful way to mm -hmm. communicate some, an idea to a new innovator. It's how we pass. It's how we pass knowledge. And that's a lot of what happens at the conference as well, right? Correct. Because one of the things that I've heard consistently over the last couple of days is how much the participants appreciate hearing best practices or leading ideas from each other, and there just has a sense of we're all sharing, so we all improve. Versus, I'm going to withhold mine, but I want to learn from you. Right, and this is this is a critical thing we believe in that ultimately if we're all working together toward a same set of goals we're all going to win a lot more than we would if we were fighting over what share of the pie we're going to have. And that's a, a fundamental principle that has to do with you know, the role of business let's say mm -hmm. in the community. Um, why in a cold hard world if it's just about numbers why would a business leader take time to do things that uh, maybe there's a return out there but I don't quite know what it looks like and mm -hmm. yet over and over again, we see that the, the, the volunteer leaders from the business community who do get involved and do participate end up being huge forces for transformation that ultimately benefits them in their career. Well, a lot of uh, communities and businesses are interested in solutions, mm -hmm. and uh, in this very diverse and uh, uh, you know transformative time, we're we're all challenged. Mm -hmm. So these communities and businesses are saying. If somebody's already done this, why reinvent it? So they're looking for ways in which that uh, others can tell their story, maybe point to a direction, not that they necessarily will copy, but at least mm -hmm. give them a, a direction, a roadmap to to the next way in which they can, can deal with this. And so a lot of communities are looking to organizations like ours that is uh, able to tell those stories, to mm -hmm. be able to benchmark and eventually even to do the KPIs that are necessary for for people to begin to measure those metrics mm -hmm. a little bit more and be able to um, discern you know, competence or performance or all those things. And what we've done recently in Canada is to say we have 27 of the 145 cities that are intelligent communities that we've recognized mm -hmm. over the years and uh, we just did an extensive uh, survey with them. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, analyzed it, and we've got some, you know, comparisons among these cities. And we tell stories, and we tell details around mm -hmm. some of those solutions or how they, you know, de dealt with their challenges and so forth. And now we're looking at doing it across all of the 145 plus cities. Mm -hmm. um, and so it'll be a living document. Mm -hmm. We'll continue to keep it updated, and people can then look in and see. Uh, what communities are like-minded like themselves. Mm -hmm. So in fact, as that's evolved, we've actually seen a number of these communities start to work together because mm -hmm. they see that one community has something that the other community doesn't and, and vice mm -hmm. versa. Mm -hmm. To quickly give you an example, uh, we had communities in uh, Europe and Eindhoven, Holland uh, that uh, saw relevance uh, to a community in Canada, Waterloo, and they started to work together and mm -hmm. businesses moved from one location to another or opened up mm -hmm. branches. Uh, they saw the value of, of uh, 
the unique science and technology uh, applications in each of their communities. So for instance, the Perimeter Institute, which talks about quantum computing and, and mm -hmm. things like string theory and all that I kind of stuff. I love that stuff. Uh, and you know, Stephen Hawking mm -hmm. has an office there and so forth. Well, the people in Eindhoven said, we'd want a piece of that. So they brought over the Perimeter Institute uh, office mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. Eindhoven. Uh, they've also made the same arrangement with Waterloo they did with Taipei. And so we have a virtual triangle among the three of them. And the interesting thing is you go to Eindhoven, they've got uh, the Science and Technology Center from Etree and, and Taiwan in their facilities, but they also have a number of the facilities from Waterloo in their Science Tech Park. And so this ecosystem is actually global. And it's a very, very interesting thing. And they wouldn't have found each other unless they had worked within uh, the, you know, the Intelligent Community Forum's uh, community of cities. Just yesterday I was listening to a conversation, and I think that your Central Ohio Science Center, Cozy, is probably going to be doing some interesting work in Europe through some of the conversations I've just been hearing the past couple of days. I mean, in Columbus's automotive cluster, the Columbus Metro Automotive Cluster, I know that there's conversations going on right now about European opportunities there. So. This translates into real business. Real business, and again, I assume that if I'm looking for, to do site selection, I would preference an intelligent community over an unintelligent community. We would certainly suggest you do, because you're going to find partners there, right? If I'm, mm -hmm. if I'm going into a, a Chattanooga, in the news a lot because they built themselves this magnificent gigabit network, but all these other remarkable things. and. Cumulatively, the intelligent community work they have done has, has been a key contributor to decisions by, for instance, Volkswagen and an enormous assembly plant there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's a, one of Europe's biggest manufacturer uh, of wind turbines. An enormous assembly plant there. And you know, they told us that they were hearing from the CEO saying, you know, one of the reasons we located here is because A, you've got this incredible connectivity, and B, you're very clearly at the table. Mm -hmm. You want to work with us in, in a very positive way and integrate us into the community, integrate us into your universities, into IBM's data center here. So, so again, we get back to that we've abolished the silos. So I can integrate not only with the business community, but the government and universities. Okay. So again, virtual triangles. Well, and it's just, it's, I guess I've been doing this too long. I can't believe that anyone would think this wasn't the right way to develop your economy or isn't the right kind of city to base your, your business in. It, doing a lot of organizational transformation work, I don't know that people say, when they see something better, that they say, I wouldn't want to do that other than it's hard and I have to transform. And I don't know that I have the time or the energy to do that today because I've got to get my work done. Mark Twain put it as, in, as about as succinctly as you can. He can. He said, "I'm all for progress." Yours. Change. <laughs> I'm all for progress. It's change. I can't say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how? Do, what? What is the the business case then for someone who says, "Sounds like a great idea. I'll do it next year." How do you well, we, motivate we, me to get? I need to motivate you to, to do it and to do it this year. I, I think that you're crazy if you don't. Um, we we've done what we can do in our process to make mm -hmm. the entry, if you will, the on ramp, mm -hmm. pretty simple and certainly no cost. There's no we don't charge anybody anything during this period because we want this to be a totally objective process. Well, one of the advantages is if you apply, even if mm -hmm. you think you're not ready, mm -hmm. at least you then learn what the gaps are. Because it will kick you back an immediate report that shows you how you compare with everybody else. 
And as a result of that, people will say they'll go back and fix mm -hmm. what it is, and maybe then they put in a better mm -hmm. application and get to another level, mm -hmm. the, the next uh, application level. So as a city manager or community financial person, this at least helps me prioritize where I invest. That's what Absolutely. we believe in. Yeah, we and think so. We think we're telling you the right things to invest in. And that may differ from what my voters think is a priority. And so part of this is then educating my community. And then we come to advocacy that says, you know, that the people will make the right choice usually if they're given enough of the right information and if their fears, their reflexive, you know, mm -hmm. animal fears are dealt with in, a, in an adult and open way, mm -hmm. they will always do the right thing sooner or later, after they've exhausted every <laughs> other possibility. That's true of all of us. But we also have a way of helping these communities. So, okay. if, so if they see these gaps, we don't just throw it back at them. And we say, look, if you need help, mm -hmm. uh, we're a nonprofit. Uh, we need to, of course, sustain ourselves. We're mm -hmm. not, not a not-for-loss. <laughs> so, so the idea is uh, we have very sustainable, inexpensive ways for us to uh, utilize our staff and, mm -hmm. and our knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, come, in, come into the community and provide a community accelerator. If they, want, if they don't want to wait two or three years and figure it out mm -hmm. themselves, mm -hmm. well, we can help them by uh, hopefully inspiring them to have mm -hmm. a focused and customized uh, a conversation, a speech, uh, mm -hmm. you know, working with the media. But more importantly, we have a thing in the community accelerator called the workshops or master class. And as a result of that, uh, people will get more engaged directly. Uh, they can work out uh, the issues that they have with mm -hmm. our master class uh, uh, host. And then uh, we all take that. And if they wanted to, they can actually dive into the metrics. And we can, we can work over a period of time to kind of really figure out the finer grain uh, reasons. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. begin to kind of give them that roadmap, and then we have this process of helping by, by having a mentoring program as part mm -hmm. of this. And you know, so if it takes six months or a year or what have you, we've done it. We've we've done this in mm -hmm. many places, and uh, and Robert like particularly does uh, does this well. And uh, you know, many of us are there for support. So uh, you know, if anybody who's listening thinks that uh, they'd like to do this, but they don't want to do it by themselves. Uh, we're there to help and uh, lend a hand. Because it does sound like it could be daunting to do alone. Well, and, and that's why we are there. We've done it for yeah. over 20 years and uh, uh, we have a lot, that, for instance, if they wanted to hold a local uh, conference or you know mini event mm -hmm. of some mm -hmm. kind, we'd help them bring in people from all over the world, other mayors and uh, practitioners and so forth, and they can in fact uh, hold it locally and focus on their particular issues. But we bring in the, uh, the international speakers. Perfect. And again, that helps the advocacy and my constituents. What's, and what's interesting is that you know, this, is, this is a realm that doesn't happen overnight. One of our cities, I think, was in our program for five consecutive years. This is the awards program. Mm -hmm. and asked us also for nurturance and so forth. And, and every year they did a little better. And they, in fact, they, they finally became one of our intelligent communities of the year, Eindhoven in the Netherlands. But what amazed me was the conscious progress. They would come to us and they'd say, okay, so what did we do wrong last year? And we'd give them a bunch of information. And they'd work hard. Mm -hmm. And they weren't just polishing the award program and make themselves look good. They were actually transforming their community while they were doing it. And that's actually what we do. Well, it's not about the awards. I mean, we use right. the awards as a mechanism. 
uh, and it's a way for them to move to another level. What the awards are as part of that process that we talked about, right? That roadmap to get them to identify the gaps, mm -hmm. fix those gaps, and at the local level, figure out a way to get to that next point that's important for them. The awards are just a manifestation of that, so we've been able to say, okay, you're now at a smart city level, smart 21, uh, but really there are other things to think about. So when they fix those things or fo focus on those, it gets them to a top seven level. And then when the top seven, we have seven cities here that are kind of presenting themselves, and people can see that some aren't quite ready yet and some are really spectacular. And obviously those that become the Intelligent Community of the Year, they now become mentors for others. And so that's part of the process that we see this uh, roadmap going through. So how would someone reach out to you, other than website, but give us the contact www.intelligentcommunity.org, just go to our contacts page and you'll find us. Okay. And there's lots of information there for them to kind of get a sense of who's out there doing it, uh, you know, why they're doing it. There's lots of information. Oh, heck, just Google Intelligent Community. <laughs> there's not really very many of us out there. Yeah, in fact, that was how I found you. <laughs> Well, and, and it is interesting. I mean, I, I constantly uh, am amazed at everybody and his brother wanting to uh, call themselves, oh, I'm a smart city. But, you know, there, there are thousands of smart cities out there these days. There aren't very many intelligent communities. There's only 145 right now. So and so you differentiate yourself this way by saying, you know, I'm an intelligent community and people will look at it and, and then, ex, you know, through explaining what it is, they go, well, wow, that's very different than just putting some glass in the ground or having, you know, a Wi-Fi mesh. So this is advantageous for communities and for businesses because we create an ecosystem that allows for business health and community health, and university health, and government health. Mm -hmm. So so that collective ecosystem allows all of us to thrive and innovate as our world is changing. And, and you know, let's not don't leave out the startup culture. Every one of mm -hmm. these communities is driving a very effective and active startup culture because that's where most of our new wealth creation is going to come from. Perfect. Thank you. So this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope that everyone heard something today that they can take back to their business, that they can start to do some research on how can we be more intelligent as a community? How as a business do I contribute to it? How as a government employee do I contribute to it? And I hope a lot of you do reach out to the Intelligent Community Forum. If you would like to reach me, my email is info at metcalf-associates.com. Please let me know what you think of the shows. Give me ideas for additional shows. We are also going to interview a city manager and a mayor who have won these awards in a follow-up show, so you'll hear a little more about specific communities. Thank you very much. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 